Episode 12, The Pandorica Opens. My name's PG Bell. And I'm Sarah Burrow. Welcome back. Thank you for downloading another Impossible Podcast. And you're joining us for... The first part of Stephen Moffat's very first season finale, wrapping up our commentaries for Series 5. And it's quite a different beast from previous series. Uh, Sarah, what did you make of this the first time you saw it? Um, I, I don't really remember. Uh, no, these has, two... has, hasn't stayed in the mind? <laughs> no, these two parties tend to all blur into one as well, so I, I'm not so 100% sure what happened in this one and what happened in the second one. I remember that there were lots of sort of cameos from the series it does pick up on yeah on various episodes and a couple of threads that have been established earlier on uh, which is the first time that's really happened to any great depth um, yeah since you know, the early russell t davis era i think yeah I, I was i was a little i was very interested going into this the first time uh, that i watched it just to see how different moffat's approach to the mm. series finale was going to be from russell t davis's uh, because, of course, for the first five years of the show, the series finale was always the big, epic yeah. set-piece, special effects, action extravaganza, uh, which I think started to get a little bit tired mm. towards the end of uh, uh, Russell T. Davis's tenure. This sort of keeps the epic scale, but pushes it very much towards the background, and is more of a, uh, a complex and more of a thoughtful uh, story, I think, that concentrates on the interplay between the characters, so... Far more in the Moffat style, but with some Rusty Davis trappings. Yeah. But, of course, as Series 5 has progressed, I think Moffat started out, if you think back to his first episode, The Eleventh Hour, aping Russell T. Davis's style quite yeah. deliberately yeah. to try and ease viewers in and to make it feel more familiar. And as the series has progressed, he's moved gradually away from that. Yeah. Um, and I think by the time we reach this two-parter here, we are firmly in Moffat territory. It's far more wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey. Yeah, definitely. There's an awful lot of back and forth between different time zones, and as we've already said, plugged into various other episodes through the series. Um, I think in a way that, that, that was that... the biggest thing I remember, is it, it's quite a bitty script. It, it jumps around a heck of a lot, especially with all the little cameos. It's, it does at know. first. It, it relies on flashbacks and things yeah. more so than, than others. We'll wait until next week's. So we'll, we'll we'll get to that. Yes, um, this is the thing. I can never. Yeah. I can't always split the two two parties. But uh... yeah, but we we will see how it holds up uh, on a rewatching. So uh, if you're watching this uh, along with us at home, press play now. And of course, here we are. Before we do, before we. Go any further, we're in France in 1890, so jumping yeah. straight back to oh, just a couple of weeks previously in Vincent and the Doctor. Yeah. Um, it looks as if they filmed those exterior shots in Croatia while they were there for Vampires of Venice and Vincent and the Doctor. Yeah, I imagine that they did this all at once. Hmm. So, uh, oh, this is a very, very long trip for, for one yes. exterior establishing yes. shot. Um, so, not much in the way of Vincent. 
Well, he gets to well, no, line not, a bench not, not, and yeah, scream. That's it. Yeah, no, no lines for Vincent particularly. And we're back in the cabinet war yeah. rooms of London, 1941. So we're already jumping back and forth through mm. the series, and here's them. The little robot that could. Mm-hmm. The little nuclear killer Dalek robot that could. Yeah. With his little Luke Skywalker black leather glove. <laughs> and, um, well, it's a Churchill, of course. Absolutely. So, yeah, we're, we're basically charting the progress of this mysterious painting that, yeah. uh, that Vincent has put together. Here we uh, are in the Welsh Millennium Centre. Uh, Millennium Stadium. Millennium Stadium, fact, sorry. Yeah. Uh, the ubiquitous corridor yeah. that turns up throughout Doctor Who. Uh, first seen in Rob Sherman's Dalek, oh, way back in Series 1, when it was supposed to be Van Staten's underground bunker. Yeah. And most recently, the world's worst prison that oh, uh, regularly lets River Song escape. I think Group 4 Security, who are organising the security for the Olympic Games in London this year, are clearly in charge of the Stormcoach facility. Because yes. you can literally walk in and out. The TARDIS telephone. It's 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 a new addition. I mean, it's only been seen in the new series. Although, yeah. although the Doctor did, could receive sort of telegrams and things in yeah. the old series, it happened once or twice. Um, seems a little hit and miss in the way it works. Yeah. I, I can appreciate that phoning the time vortex is an imprecise science, but Rivers said that the TARDIS has obviously picked up the call and has rerouted it here. Yeah. So, if the TARDIS can pick up the call, why not just give it straight to the Doctor? Yeah. This is quite amusing with the... Mm. Yeah, this is. The, uh... Uh, to be fair, at least they, they and especially by Series 6, they do regularly make fun of the fact that River can just waltz in and out whenever yeah. she wants to. But what they don't do is they don't. There doesn't seem to be an increase of security each time she goes back. No. Based on the fact that I, she I, escapes. Every yeah, time. I get the impression that uh, even the storm cage guards are resigned to the fact that she can come and go as she pleases. Maybe they're just happy with the fact she always comes back. So. Uh... Yeah. And here we are back oh. with the painting again. Sophia Canada from the Beast Below. I still haven't warmed to that Motley accent. Oh, I'm a bloody queen, are you? Yeah, no, not really. It's oh, so very low cut top on River's point here. You've been wasted. (laughs) Sorry, just noticed this. I hadn't appreciated that, but yes, you're quite (laughs) right. Sorry, yeah, no, I'll point it out. You'd think it would have been me. Yeah, you would actually. Yeah. Oh, and here we are in Star Wars. I don't like that scene. No. Oh, see, I quite like that. As, as an establishing well, special effects shot, it's... Uh... Well, it just, just it screams Star Wars, but then this oh, whole it scene does. does. It does. It's very deliberately so as well. Uh, this is the bar that we saw at the end of David Tennant's finale, where he sees Jack again. Yeah. I think. And we, we do come back here in season six, of course. I do like that off-the-wrist thing about the uh, time vortex yeah. manipulator. Now, there's been an awful lot of speculation that might be Captain Jack's hand and his vortex manipulator in the box. Um, of course, it has been seen. He has been seen since in Torchwood. Yeah. And, uh, we assume because he's immortal, his hand will grow back. But he did still have his vortex manipulator. Yeah. So perhaps not. Ah, of course, at the end of 
the lodger, Amy, has found the engagement the ring. ring. That's right. And making use of the multi-level TARDIS. It's a shame they didn't make this that lower level a little bit more interesting. Yeah. They've just got that. Well, apparently it's not even a real floor down there. An awful lot of it, if you step on it, your foot will just go straight through. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think it is sort of, it, so, it's set up to be sort of like a maintenance, because you see him sitting in that sort of... In the swing. Swing yeah. thing, fixing things, don't you, in other in other episodes. Mm, so. Yeah. But it does mean that you can have those nice shots up through mm. the glass floor. And, yeah. yeah. And Matt Smith can dangle over the edge and look all crazy-eyed. And yeah. His hair can flop about the place. <laughs> That's a shame Caleb's not here with us, because uh, he's spoken quite often in the past on this podcast about the fact that Doctor Who should be about exploration and going to new places that the Doctor doesn't really know much, know much about, uh, which is what they're doing here. And I don't like that set. The, the, it looked that, very planet. plastic. It was. It's not the best CGI in the no, world. No, it looked very, very plastic Given that I suppose it was only supposed to be there for ten seconds. Yeah, you see a lot of it. Shot. And you're only really supposed to look at the Hello Sweetie bit. Yeah. But it felt very pulpy in 1960s, like something mm-hmm. you would have seen in classic Doctor Who. In fact, it reminds That's me true, yeah. very much of the jungle planet that we see um, at the end of The Chase, which is a Dalek story in which the Daleks build their own TARDIS and chase mm. the Doctor through various time zones. And they, la- they end up on a jungle planet that has these giant living mushrooms. Here's the world's worst um, Roman centurion, because there is no way that a guy in his... <laughs> Uh, would have actually survived being a Roman soldier. He's he, he's not in the best of shape, is he? No, I mean these were, you know, he would he would have literally died. I'd imagine if he actually had to do anything that a normal centurion would have had to have done. It looked as if jogging up that hill almost killed him. Exactly. I mean, they jogged for days and days on end carrying their entire um, pack. So, uh, and interesting, anyway. given that that they think the Doctor is Caesar, that they just send one bloke up yeah. there to meet him. <laughs> Which is not very Roman uh, at all. Mm. I do quite like Rivera as uh, pretending to be Cleopatra. Cleopatra. That's quite fun. So this is another really quite a long pre-credit sequence. It, yes, it is very long. Obviously, indeed. culminating in that we finally see Van Gogh's. Yes, it's almost like a, a little sort of potted story in itself, isn't it? Just charting the progress of this painting through. Yeah, because we don't really. I mean, that's sort of self-contained on its own, then. We then carry on with the rest of the story, don't we? Mm, yes. That's so probably why. It, it's a jumping-off point for, for the main story. Yeah. Uh, but and that's something that Moffat, I think, has done, or certainly goes on to do in, in later later stories. Um, and it's done very effectively here. Yeah. Uh, what, what do we think about revisiting all of these scenes from, and these characters from earlier on in the series? Well, yeah, I mean, I think it, it fits with the idea of, you know, sort of following this painting through. The, the um, only one of... I, I think an awful lot of them do feel like sort of slightly fan-pleasing cameos. Yeah. The only person of any consequence really is Vincent, because is he's Vincent. the one who's had the... Yeah. Because we know from Vincent and the Doctor that he's had these villains. Vincent uh, is the one that fits his, the most organically. Yeah, it's um, his painting. This, this it? idea of the painting... And the painting it contains these coordinates, doesn't it? On the he's on deliberately the door. leaving a clue, you yeah. know. Um, and that I mean that fits quite nicely. The, the rest others, are just yeah, yeah, they're just there to sort of. Oh look, we found a painting. You could oh have, look, we found could, a painting. That's it. You could you know you could quite easily have had River just finding the painting directly. Yeah. Somehow in a book or 
whatever, yeah. or what have you. I mean, she is an archaeologist. So. Yeah. But, you know, it, it's nice that it at least builds up a history for the painting. You mm. get the impression that it has been around for a very long time, yeah. waiting to be found. Um, very much like the Pandora. So here we are at Stonehenge. Hmm. In Wiltshire, is that? I think so. My, my, I'm afraid to say my British geography is absolutely appalling. Yes, so is mine. I but, uh... do know that uh, Doctor Who was one of the very first, if not the first, television dramas to be allowed to film oh. within Stonehenge. So I really, that, that's quite a prestigious claim to be able to make. Yeah. And documentaries and things have obviously been filmed there before. Yeah. But uh, it's, I think it's a UN World Heritage Site as well as just a... A, a UK heritage site. Stonehenge in Wiltshire. I was That's right. It. There we well go. Done. Well remembered. Oh my god. Um, Somewhat disappointing seeing it in person, I must admit. I don't know if, if you've ever been. No, I've never uh, been. Uh, there's a motorway just a few hundred yards away from it and an enormous, great, sort of fairly tacky visitor centre that's, that's basically a large shed. I've uh, never really seen the huge appeal of going. It's You can't get into it. Yeah, there, there's, you... there's a pathway because so many people, um, yeah, up until a few decades ago, were, you know, were allowed to tramp through it, and they yeah. graffitied the stones, they chipped off little bits and pieces to take home as souvenirs, they yeah. left litter and all sorts of things. Um, so little did they know there was a whole know. place underneath them Absolutely. that we are now seeing. Well, apparently, recent archaeological um, ground surveys have found that there is some sort of structure underneath the henge um, yeah. some sort of foundation it's it's not a big underground chamber like this no. uh, but there are stones that mirror there's a the man's head yes that, I, I, I assume forgot. there's, there's I some couldn't... sort of deleted scene that we've that we've missed here because they've been making us the doctor river and amy have been searching stonehenge mm. for a clue as to yeah. What's going on? Yeah, to, to some doorway into the underhenge, and they just failed to notice a Cyberman head lying on the ground. Yes. Perhaps. I, so this is why I assume there's some deleted scene where they dug it up and found it. Perhaps. Otherwise, they're just really useless. I don't useless. know because <laughs> no, because I think he, the Doctor, would have been more on guard had he known the Cyberman were involved, wouldn't he? That's true, and he seems to be quite surprised to find the Cyber yeah. body down here. So in I the... don't think he. He doesn't act as if he knows the Cybermen. And of course, Riz- River would know the Cybermen as well, of course. Yes, that's true. Through knowing enough. I don't know whether we, she's been in an episode with them, but she would have known it through the Doctor's history anyway. Yes, and of course, she? because she's from the future, I mean, the Cybermen are known within this universe anyway, yes. because there have been wars with the Cybermen and humanity. Yeah. So, I mean, the two of them would, would recognise in an instant that mm. this is probably not good if you found a disembodied Cyberman head. Yeah. And there's and the, arm. the arm. This is quite an impressive set. Yeah. Uh, it's got a real sense of scale and depth to it. The fact that you it's not just the chamber itself, you can see out through those doors mm. and you've got the stairway leading up it. And uh, the lighting coming from above as well gives a good sense of them actually being Underground, and having, yeah. but still having a sense of space and scale. Yeah. 
this is where I, I think Moffat is deliberately setting the viewer up, deliberately playing on the viewer's expectation and building up to what we expect to be the standard Doctor Who series finale. Yeah. Because, of course, um, RTD's series finales were always about some great and invincible yeah. alien power that was so terrible, you know, nothing could stand against it. Be it yeah. The Daleks or the Master or the Return of Gallifrey or what have you. That's a very clever way of just skipping over the fact that we've got a very significant plot point that's just been raised. And it's one of Moffat's strengths, I think, mm. is, is using humour to deflect the audience's attention. Yeah. And segue into, straight into something else. Um, which is why Rivers' constant escapes from Storm Cage are so successful. Yeah. Because they're always played for laughs. Yeah. So we tend not to mind them as much not, as, yeah. as if they've been played straight. Because if every time she escaped was a proper life and death, yeah, then male biting drama, it would just you know, be, it would become ridiculous very, very quickly. Rather than her, you know, throwing herself off a ship and landing in the absolutely swimming to things. I wonder if this Pandorica prop, and yeah, I hesitate to call it a prop given the size of it. I wonder if that's an actual cube or if they just built those two sides of it. Because you only have being a cube. On camera, you can only ever see two sides of it at once. Yeah. Because there's never a, a, a tracking shot where they circle around the entire thing. And they never go they? above it, do they? No, I don't think so. It's always sh- it's always shot from below to make it look big and imposing. Yeah. So, if they wanted to cheat and save a bit of budget, which of course Doctor Who was having to do by this point. Yeah. Which is remarkable when you think that. I think it's looked better in this series than it ever has. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, 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 if, if I were the BBC props department, I'd just put up two big balsa wood yeah. sides and leave it at that. And I think, I think those wooden st- steps that we've got either side of the chamber there, the, yeah. uh, they look a bit like a grandstand, have been seen in other episodes, most recently in the Silurian City in... Yeah. Cold blood. Uh, and they turned up oh, in Oh, Dalek City. When did Amy face the Daleks? Uh, Victory of the Daleks with Winston oh, Churchill yes. earlier on. Yes, I try and forget that usually. Mm. Yes, so does anyone yes. else. Yes, <laughs> I'd forgotten. At least they still sound cool. Yes, they do. They sound menacing even if they look slightly silly. I really like your they, idea they, they... for the Asylum of the Daleks. Oh, the uh, Series 7 opening, yeah. where, where all, of the, all of the obsolete Daleks have to gang together to, and, uh, to face Probably won't happen, but I'd really like to see it. I'm hoping that it's true, just because all of the, all of the obsolete Daleks together could kick the new Daleks' eyes. Yeah. Zygon, good grief. Referencing and name checking all of these classic series monsters yeah. that don't actually turn up in the episode. No. <laughs> but it's nice to know that they're there. Yeah. Well, I'm not so sure the Doctor thinks it's nice currently. Well, no, no, clearly not. 
But this is... That is... It does make me... Like, he... Oh, he's not running away, necessarily. So he's running towards, is he? Yeah, so he's running point. outside just to see how bad it really is. I thought is. for a minute he was running away. It was like he just leaves River and Amy to it. But no, he's running towards, isn't he? Yeah. Again, I think this is Moffat playing on our expectations because one of the things that Rusty Davis loved to do with his series finales was throw everything yeah. and the kitchen sink into yeah. the mix. So you have he was the first person to have Daleks versus Cybermen, for mm. example. He bring back all of the companions, which he did several times. Yeah. And so to have Daleks, Cybermen, Sontarans. Absolutely uh, everybody. Traxy, yeah, Sycorax, practically everybody. All there in this big monster mashup. This is where my heart was falling because I was expecting it to be just sort of glorified fan fiction. Yeah. But they use very sparingly really, I and mean, very well. an interesting scene. Yeah. It's good to see River having a strong mm. scene on her level. Now, this is very. Well, I'd say very Rusty Davis, but I think it's more Moffat than Rusty Davis, actually. Mm. This uh, this whole thing about, well, forget the gods and forget the superstitions. <laughs> but, uh, ooh, mysterious Roman. Hmm, I wonder S- who this might be. Strokes chin. <laughs> hmm. I think it's underselling the Romans as well, because the Romans, as a people, uh, were incredibly superstitious. Yeah. And a very yeah, highly religious people. I've just realised that these stones lining the edge of the chamber are supposed to be um, the stones that are actually up above ground and they extend down. Yeah, because it's what she takes the uh, readings off, isn't it? Mm, that's right, and they're transmitters. With another of uh, River's handy, handy gadgets. gadgets. Mm. But, uh... She seems to have abandoned the Cleopatra pretext very quickly. Yeah. A lot has been made about Stephen Moffat turning series six into an ongoing arc, yeah, one long continuing mm-hmm. story. Um, and I'm, our very own Swithin Dobson, um, whose baby is due today. Today? Well, well, a week ago by the time you're listening to this, faithful listen. Oh, that's yeah. true. Um, today being the 14th of July. Yes. Um, but hopefully not arriving today. No? Because Helen is at a wedding with Swithin. Really? Yes. Ah, good grief. That, so hopefully that would be not memorable. arriving today, please, little, no, uh, okay. little Dobson. Um, hopefully arriving tomorrow. Yes. After safe, safe and sound back at home. Okay. Um, 
But I, I think, you know, Swithin, that's the reason I, I yes, mentioned his name, was really not a fan of the ongoing art plot. Or at and least, we, we complained about it a lot in Series 6 as well, didn't we? We did. We discussed or, it pretty much every episode, I think. Well, you had to. <laughs> it, was, it was part and parcel of the fabric of the thing. But he wasn't a fan of the way in which it was implemented, at least. Um, I think the ongoing threads in Series 5 are woven together far more competently mm. and make a more satisfying whole. And I'm, I'm sorry to keep harping on Rus- about Russell T. Davis, but it's something that he did in his first series yeah. as well. In fact, it's not mentioned very often, but Series 1 of the, of the new series of Doctor Who, with... <laughs> that was funny, uh, with Christopher Eccleston, had you know, an awful lot of ongoing threads that all yeah. tied very neatly together at the end. Um, well, but I mean, still, but every episode still stood alone. You had bad wolf throughout. There was bad wolf, but then up above and beyond that, that was more of a motif. Yeah, and everyone points to bad wolf as as the threat. <laughs> <laughs> this is fun. This is just a fun scene. It's just a fun scene. I like that. Oh look, I'm a target. In fact, this reminds me of of Rose back in series one, when the the Doctor has to fight the Auton. Yeah. Plastic arm and has to try and deactivate it with a sonic screwdriver. But but yeah, if you if you think about the way in which you had uh the game station um at the end of the series, which was satellite five. Yeah. Um from halfway through the series and you had um Margaret Slovene who turns up yeah, a third of the way through the series and then comes back later on and helps to establish the heart of the TARDIS and its restorative yeah. powers, which comes into play at the end. You have the ongoing thread about the Time War and the Daleks. You've got an awful lot all knit together. Is that the first time we've seen inside a Cyberman? In the series, yes. In this, yes, yeah, it in, is. You know, in the new series. It also goes against the series' own continuity, um, because previously they've always cut out the brain and just put the brain inside. Well, they've always had they the brain in the, um, the sort of... They didn't take the head. Um, central nervous system, wasn't it? Because that's what we had in um, Tenant's time, is that when you saw him, you saw him this, with this white sort of stuff that was... Yeah, supposed to be central nervous system. That's true, but it, I think it was an artificial nervous system, sort of mm. bioengineered one. But the brain was always human. Yeah. Um, I should also point out that this is a, a direct visual reference to the thing, um, John Carpenter's. Yeah. Is it John Carpenter? Yeah. Nineteen um, eighties body horror, in which uh, sort of shape shifting alien uh, infiltrates an Arctic base, but that features somebody's head. That grows these kind of spidery legs and mm. goes scuttling off across the floor. I imagine, you know, for the children part of the audience who watch this, I imagine this is quite scary. Yeah, cause this is basically a zombie spider, uh, zombie Cyberman. Isn't yeah, because I mean, Spider-Man. I mean, <laughs> there, is, there is a there is a zombie Spider-Man, but that's that's different. Um, but this well. idea of you know, seemingly inanimate body parts. Yeah. Seeking to return to it, the rest of its body and attacking you in the process. Uh, it, it's it's a fun, exciting scene. I don't think it does the Cybermen any favours. I mean, the Cybermen have always been quite shoddily treated. Yeah, by I've Doctor never done Who, particularly well, have they? Especially in the new series. <laughs> I love this bit. But the idea just that just because I like Rory. Yes, 
But the idea that the Cybermen don't even need brains anymore and that their bodies are perfectly capable of just tramping along and yeah. talking and threatening people by <gasps> themselves. Hey, hey. It's Rory! It, is, it is good to have him back. Yay! Even though it was inevitable from the start. Yeah, for the moment he died, you knew he'd be back. See, now these guys look like centurions. Well, only technically only one of them is a centurion, the rest of the region. Well, yes, but... Well, she's not sedated, she's just passed out. Well, no, she was... Oh, no, she was she sedated. Was, she... Yes, oh, no, she Seemingly was. She was got with the dart. We talked over that bit, didn't we? Yeah, yeah we did. This was nice. It was a bit laboured. <laughs> See, the, the Cybermen are basically now fodder for every other Can't monster there's yeah. out there. Yeah. You, can, you can skewer them with a sword. <laughs> yeah. You can get beaten up and dismembered by a Celt. Yeah. <laughs> I do like this bit. Arthur Darvill and Matt Smith do work very well together. They do. The three of them do, I think. Mm. I, I do wish there had been more scenes with just Rory and, Rory and the, the doctor. doctor. But this is a good one. I wish they did more like... Uh, in fact, Caleb and I said it in um, in this week weekend's podcast on The Lodger. Nice. Um, I wish they'd kind of done more stories like they did with Craig, changing Played by James Corden. Yeah. Because um, James Corden and Matt Smith were very good together as well. And you almost wish they did the same with Rory. Mm. But yes. he, he's still a bit too sort of linked with Amy, really. Yeah. It did. It's quite telling, I think, that there's more chemistry between Arthur Darville and Matt Smith than there is between Arthur Darville and Karen Gillan. Yeah. I've never been. The, the things have improved, but they've never fully convinced me as a couple. Yeah, and it's not, and that's not Arthur Darvill's fault. No, I think I think, it. I think it got better in in yeah. the next series. It did. It I think did. it it got better. I think once they stop killing Rory off every two minutes, and once they stop having Amy chase after the Doctor. Yeah, I think it, they do it much better with their relationship in the next series. I think yeah. than in this. I do. I do like Rory's line. I died. I became. I came back as a Roman centurion. Yes, it's very confusing. Mm-hmm. Or something to that effect. He does seem to have taken to it quite well. This that, that's a nice effect. I mean, that's a good use of yeah CGI. A green this, light this. and some CGI. Yeah. Are they tropophane then? Is that what flew past this? Uh, I th- I don't know if they were I, I th- no no they weren't tropophane, but they were uh, Sontaran pods. I guess. Uh, uh, in fact, that's a Sontaran. Battleship, yeah. kind of spidery legs, but there are Jadoon cylinders in there as well. In fact, I, I can't spot any Dalek sources, but they might be in there. This whole scene with the spaceships above Stonehenge is a direct visual reference to Spielberg's Close Encounters of the Third Kind, where aliens come down and visit mm. Earth, and it's all lots of whizzing, flashing coloured lights. 
and this is the standout scene of the episode. Yeah. There's <laughs> <laughs> the attractive sort of crystal ship. I do like that. Matt Smith carries this scene off so well. He does. If David Tennant's Doctor had done this, it'd been so depressing, it would have been raining, it would have been... He would have done it very seriously you know, and very straight-faced. Yeah, and, and not to say that that wouldn't have been good, you know, and it would have been raining and he would have, you know... Mm. But... It doesn't... I think it would have come across as slightly more smug and arrogant mm. had Tennant done it. And that's not to demean him as an actor particularly. No. But it's a completely different character to the whole speech we've had yeah. with Matt Smith to do it. There's there's some YouTube footage of a Doctor Who convention in the States and they gave this bit of script to Sylvester McCoy yeah. and got him to, to deliver it as, his, oh. as the seventh Doctor. Uh, and that was quite good. So, uh, you, uh, yeah, you know more about oh, There's, there's a Dalek source. Yeah, well we knew the Daleks were there somewhere because we heard yeah. them, didn't we? <laughs> See, I like that. We've, it's Moffat is really the one who introduced the concept of the Doctor just flashing his CV at the enemy mm. and saying, "Well, don't you know who I am? Who I am? Yeah. Why are you even trying to fight me? Just go away." Which, of course, is is what we then tries to battle in oh, the next series and I know. undo it all. Doesn't but if it? if he hadn't introduced it in the first place, it wouldn't be a problem. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's really annoying, and it's it's it has become quite a lazy. Get out, Claude. And it does make the Doctor sound very smug and arrogant. And I think that's part of the problem. Yeah. Yeah, when, when, when towards, especially towards the end of David Tennant's era. Mm. It, you know, David Tennant seeing himself as the ultimate authority and how dare they yeah. even try and fight me. Um, whereas, again, I think Matt Smith delivers it in far more seat of the pants, harebrained sort of way. But there is that, that crucial line where he sort of tosses the communicator <laughs> back to Rory and says that should keep him squabbling for half an hour. Yeah. He has no expectation that it's actually going to convince them. No. And it's not gonna it's not gonna stop them, they're not actually going to leave. No. It's just a delaying tactic. Yeah. He's he's bluffing, basically. Oh poor Rory. No. You know what, Rory? Leave her. Seriously, <laughs> there's a whole universe of women out there. No, well, until, until the end of the episode when there's, there's really no universe left. But, but well, yes, true. Yeah, you could do so much better, mate. I know this, but then Rory wouldn't be in the program, and I like Rory. Oh no, I think they should leave Amy behind. Oh yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> but I think the doctor. <laughs> James whole, will be shouting at us from saying the whole of series six should be the doctor taking Rory out into the universe to find another girlfriend. Yes. We might get no, very quickly have... bored with that idea, but um Oh it could be hilarious. <laughs> could you imagine? We we saw in, in obviously in the episode before this in the lodger uh, the doctor's attempt to matchmake. Uh it was very amusing, it has to be said. That's actually. true. And it worked in the end, they got together. And it did work in the end, yeah, that's true. That's that's like a hundred percent success rate so far. Yeah. He could take he could take Rory back to be to meet the actual Cleopatra, wouldn't it? 
If you could celebrity, let's let's, let's, oh, let's talk. No. Let's talk celebrity <laughs> historicals. If you could set Rory up with any oh. famous female historical figure. Oh my word! Who would you set up? Set him up with? I have no so. idea. I'm I can't thinking, say it's something I've ever considered. Florence Nightingale could be a possibility. That's true. Yeah. You go with the whole nurse thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, my God, Elizabeth I, but she's got kind of a track record with the Doctor by this point. Well, so, yeah, um, that's also true. I don't know. Faithful listeners, <laughs> we want your suggestions. You, you have your pick of women from history. Who do you set Rory, Rory up, with? up with? Who will treat him right? Yes. And be still be fun? That's a really interesting question that I can't think of anybody. If he was, if it wasn't for the fact that he was a Roman, I'd say Queen Boudicca, or Boadicea as she was known. Yeah. Uh, who, of course, in the trick TV dramatisation of, of Queen Boudicca, was played by Alex Kingston. Was she? She was indeed. Oh, I didn't know that. We're talking over the very nice emotional scene between the, the yes, sorry, and the doctor. We're lowering the tone. Yeah, you are. Yes. Yes, I usually do. It was me that noticed it was on cleavage at one point, though, so... There we go, yes. My mind is on higher things. <laughs> For a change. Sorry, I had to say it. Ah. Uh, right, so we, we've now... River's floating around in the TARDIS. Yes. Uh, and hasn't got where she thinks she has. Nope. So... Now, there's something we need to talk about. That voice, Silence Will Fall. Yes. It's not the voice of the actual Silence, the Grey Aliens from Series 6. Mm-hmm. And it's not a voice that we've heard no, since, no. I don't think. It is a one and only voice. Do we know who it is? We, I don't think we do. So she's back. She's back at Amy's, is she? She's at Amy's place, yeah. Uh... On the date on which this episode was transmitted. Ah. So 2011. 2010. Oh, sorry. I, I should have made a note. Of it. The, the date was there on screen just It was now. 2010. 2010. Uh, 26th of. 6th, 2010? 26th of June, there we go. Quite no, so just over two years ago. 26th of 6th, 2010. Well done, there you go. You're, I just looked it up you're on You're paying uh, far more attention than I am. Uh, to, to more than just Alex Geeson's <laughs> cleavage. So, uh, here we go. We're back. And this takes us back to what, the 11th hour, really. Exploring Amy's house yeah. again. And uh, the crack in the wall. I do think it's slightly odd that a grown woman in her 20s would still have the toys that she played with as a little girl out and about well because when I think part of it is a is a plot point because by the looks of it there's sort of a suitcase that I think it's more than feasible she would have kept them all oh yes no, absolutely I'm I not think sure she would have the way they're sort of displayed I think it's probably just a way yeah. For easier, easier to for um, River to find here. Yes. yes um, yes. I think the idea of having the 
the um, suitcase there suggests that she kept it all in a sort of keepsake box. Mm. Um, and there's a lot of uh, speculation at this point that Moffat might have borrowed um, a plot point from Lawrence Miles, who yeah, who is infamous amongst Doctor Who fan circles as, as one of the as one of the best, most interesting. Uh, Doctor Who novelists in the wilderness years before the series came back and wrote an awful lot of the the time novels and was quite experimental and really pushed the boundaries of, uh, in terms of storytelling. Um, but one of his stories, Alien Bodies, involves the Doctor attending an auction on a, on a sort of distant, far future alien yeah. planet that's attended by... You know, the greatest Doctor Who monsters and villains and some terribly dangerous people who are there to bid on a mysterious item which turns out to be the Doctor's body. Oh. His own future dead self. Uh, so, and Lawrence Mars hates Stephen Moffat with a passion and has been quite vocal about this on his blog and, and regularly, when the series is running, regularly uh, deconstructs. Both, both the episode itself and Moffat's mm. personality as a whole. Uh, needless to say, he's never actually going to write for the series. No. But there was a lot of speculation that Moffat might have been quite cheeky and borrowed mm. Lawrence Mars's plot, and that it was actually the Doctor inside the Pandora Press. Of course, especially with all this talk about it being a terribly dangerous creature you know, that yeah. everyone was terrified of uh, inside. And I think Moffat went. Through yeah, through um, aspiring to the works and, and muddied the waters, if I can mix my metaphors. <laughs> through a spanner into the water and muddied them <laughs> uh, by having the doctor say that yeah, the, the the thing, the dangerous creature inside the Pandora was locked up by a good wizard, and having River say, "Well, I hate good wizards in stories because they always turn out to be him." Yeah, uh, which might be a call back to the Sylvester McCoy era. Uh, and a story called Battlefield, which was written by Ben Aronovich, who you know, of course, from the Rivers of London novel. Yes, very Um, good novel. In which it turns out that Merlin in Arthurian legend was actually the Doctor. Ah! Or Merlin was going to be a future version of the Doctor uh, that the Doctor hadn't become yet. Ah! Um, Because the Doctor finds um, Arthur's knights... Yeah, have returned from his parallel dimension, mm. and yeah, but of course they all know him as Merlin, uh, but he doesn't know them yet. Mm. So. And I'm talking over all the important stuff. I'm very oh, sorry. Yes, but then that's kind of what you expect with the comedy. Yeah, we kind of do. Talk we we, 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 tend we talk to. over all the important stuff. All the important bits and all the highly emotional scenes yep. we talk over. this ongoing discussion between the river and the doctor about how to fly the TARDIS now we've got some potentially uh, potential lack of continuity in terms of who taught river to fly the TARDIS because earlier in the series there's that voice again Mm. the time of angels she says, "Yeah, you know, I, I was taught to fly the TARDIS by the best, 
Uh, and then she turns to the doctor and says, oh yeah, you weren't there. Now that could mean that that version of the doctor that version there, was, it was a previous or a later incarnation. Uh, here she says that the doctor taught her, which yeah. implies that is the case. But in series six, and um, I can't remember if it's the doctor's wife or not, it's heavily implied that the TARDIS... No, no, it's Let's Kill Hitler. It's implied that the TARDIS taught River to fly mm. the TARDIS. And she learned directly from the TARDIS herself. So, hmm. Oh, poor Rory. Yeah. We've said it before, but the lighting in this series, and just the look and the visual feel of it, is a lot richer. And the lighting is great. I do think Arthur Darville really stands out in these scenes. Yeah. It's great. After having had him sort of mope after Amy for yeah. three weeks to actually give him something to chew on is terrific and I think it really sets him up for series 6 where he gets a lot more scope to do he does I really yeah. like what they did with Rory I think there's much more to him than uh, ah. than well, Amy in some ways actually oh yeah I think he's a much richer character there's, yeah. more, there's more depth to him especially after this time when he's spent a millennium as or you know, as he will have done by the end of the next episode he spent a millennium yeah. caring for her and protecting her and living life. Mm. Uh, in that respect, if the Doctor's to be believed about his age, he's actually experienced more life more than the life Doctor. More life than the Doctor, yeah. So I think he should actually, he should be, even though he becomes a stronger character in mm. Series 6, I think he should be stronger than he is. Really helpful that she decides to remember at the point where he's becoming quite dangerous to be around. Yes. Because... She calls him her boyfriend rather than her fiance. Yeah. Small detail, but one worth noting. Um, the autons. They always are. The autons. I'm very glad that they gave them back the little protruding gun that comes out of their hand. Because when they used to have that in the classic series. Did they? Um, and when they came, when we saw them in rows, the very first episode of the new series, the hand opens up, and they had the two holes, but no gun came out. They just fired straight out of the hole. Oh, horrible new Daleks. It's very interesting. And we'll see it again in the next next week's commentary yeah. for the Big Bang. I think even the production team by this point, particularly the director, have realised that the new Daleks don't look very good. <laughs> uh. Because they're always shot head on now. You yeah. don't see the you don't see them in profile. No. So you don't get that horrible hunchback effect yeah. that they've built into them. Which was very noticeable in uh, Victory of the Daleks. But you don't see it in this series finale. Oh, yeah. Oh, and the Jadoon. Yeah. And the Sontarans. I'm glad they got this guy back to play the commander. Mm. I still don't like those Daleks. 
They just look plasticky yeah. and a bit light, especially as they wobble when they speak. Man. Yeah, I just I like the slightly more the rusty, last, organic yeah. sort of look to them. Like, I mean, the the best ones that this series saw were the um, the ones wandering around in the war cabinets. Oh, the Ironside yeah. Daleks. They, yeah, if you're going to have new look Daleks, make sure they look better than your other new look Daleks. Yeah, that's the thing. Because they were a new look Dalek you only saw very briefly, didn't they? They were fun. Um, they were fun and they yeah. were, you could, there was a purpose to them looking like that. So we talking about talking over big scenes, we've talked yeah. over him shooting Raw, uh, Amy. Raw yes. Amy. Yeah. What is the, that? The Hoiks, which was a which was a bit part alien in Love and Monsters from series two. Was it? Yeah, it was it was not the peg monster that was in it in this episode for about twenty seconds. Well it's had another twenty well, not even a twenty second, it's had another two second clip. Yeah. I suppose if they've got it in an archive somewhere they might as well use the suit. Yeah, this is it. It, it was an off the shelf monster then because they just needed something quick and cheap. Look, he's killed Amy. Ah oh, well. Time to find another girlfriend. They've managed to fasten the Doctor in uh, mm. the Pandora it, It's This is where it all comes together, and I love the fact that all of the aliens have just... The aliens are the good guys in this. The, the monsters yeah. are the good guys. But unwittingly, in trying to be the good guys, they are dooming the entire universe. Yeah. Plus, you will notice that it, it's actually the Roman soldiers that, um, or the Roman auto, um, autons that um, actually tie them in the, in the thing. But... Yes, because they have they, they have opposable digits. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I suppose the side men do as well. Yeah. It's cramped inside that Pandora, but it's tricky yeah. to get a couple of side men in there. Is it worth pointing out at this? Juncture that uh, the Daleks have joined this, you know, this confederation of monsters to save. Well, the they believe of to the save the yeah, universe. Whereas the last time, the last series finale to feature the Daleks, their plan was to destroy all reality everywhere. Yeah, it's not a very. It was a crap plan then. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we've um, we've seen the Cybermen. Sort of collaborate with others, and we've seen all the others, the Santarans, certainly the Jadun, because the Jadun are for higher majority of the time. Mm. We've seen them all combined, but I mean, yeah, the Daleks have always been well, even if we lose, if it means us losing, we're not combining with somebody else. Yes, I mean, the Daleks. So it's, it's kind of out of character. It's kind of out of character for the Daleks, but it also. But you also couldn't have done that scene without them. No. It wouldn't have meant the same, would it? It's also the direct. Opposite of the Daleks' last mm. big scheme. Yeah. They've obviously. I know they've had a change of management, obviously. Yeah. But still. I, but I do think it's just the only way they could have got away with doing that scene is because if they'd have not done it with the Daleks, we would have all gone, well, where are the Daleks? Mm. That's so a nice. That's a lovely final shot. It it's very unusual. Cool. And most of the cliffhangers for the series finales. Well, even not even the cliffhangers necessarily. Um, even the final episodes, you know, the final climactic scenes, hinge on the worst possible scenario almost happening, but not quite. Yeah. Whereas, Whereas Moffat's this... actually gone, yeah, and destroyed the universe. 
This, I mean, this is James's ultimate ending of everybody dies. Yeah. The entire universe dies. And that's it. You and know, that's it. The Earth had is it. just left All gone itself. wrong. Um, so on that yeah. note, there you go, that's the and, end of that episode. And Amy's dead, and Rory's, Rory's an auton, and the Doctor's imprisoned by his worst enemies, and... The TARDIS blew up with TARDIS River. TARDIS with River on it. River on it. So that's all pretty final. Um, yeah. So that's it, no more Doctor Who. Thank you for listening. Um, <laughs> it's it. been a pleasure. <laughs> We'll, thankfully, s- we'll uh, see you for something else. Yes, thankfully not. No, no. Thankfully, uh, this is the two first of the two-parter. So, uh, I mean, I mean, that's one thing. We 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 all know that it's not actually the end of the universe. No, no. Um, it's, but you know, it's nice to do it anyway, and it? it's nice to see it. Yeah, it's nice to see the. <laughs> I'm not sure it's nice to see the end of the universe, but it's interesting. Yeah, it's fun. We wouldn't want to see the end of the universe. No. This is the show that destroyed the entire Earth on its second episode after coming back. True. In 2005. True. So they have to take it one step further and destroy the entire universe. Mm. I'm not so sure they can do much more now, though. It's hard to top that. Yeah. Mm. We'd, but we'll discuss that in our in... next commentary. Next week's commentary for The Big Bang. Uh, so, final. Yeah, absolutely. Our last series final commentary. Yes. We've and we've finally done all got it. We've done all of six, haven't we? We've done all of six. So then it's just awaiting uh, the start of season seven. Yeah, there you go. So do join us next week, and thank you for listening uh, to us talk over all of the important bits, yeah. all of your favourite bits this <laughs> and week. Please get in touch if you've got any other comments to add to them, uh, or if you've got... If you've got a girlfriend for Rory. A girlfriend for Rory. We want to hear from you, please. Any any woman in history. And, and in, in, in the interest of fairness, well, no, no, we'll, we'll, we'll save that for next week. <laughs> this week, we want a girlfriend for Rory. Yes, we do. That's it. Uh, so tune in um, next week for the Big Bang. The Big Bang, and um, yeah, if, if if you have any feedback at all, leave it in our comments section. Find us on Facebook. Send us a tweet, and we'll speak to you soon. Bye. Bye bye. You've been listening to the Impossible Podcast. For more Doctor Who commentaries, plus other science fiction and fantasy reviews and discussions, please visit our website impossiblepodcasts.com or search for us on iTunes we'd love to hear from you please follow us on Twitter like us on Facebook or email us via impossiblepodcasts at gmail.com thanks for listening Oh,